0: Chapter 41 Things that once were. The visions came faster and faster, each image disintegrating at the very moment they began to coalesce into definite form. Like the contents of a burning book, each leaf of which blackens, curls, and falls away, allowing the next page to be glimpsed briefly. Before it too crumbles to ash. And with each and every glimpse, the freezing numbness from my torn right hand spread further up my arm, whilst the agony in my chest stabbed ever deeper through me. At last, the dizzying roller coaster of imagery slowed down and settled on one final representation. I did not at first recognise what I saw, but I knew instantly this was not an image of things that were to be. This was an image of things that once were. Things that I simultaneously recalled as memory yet lived through as a fresh and unprepared participant. I could feel soft grass beneath my feet as I walked towards a narrow river. Hear low, sun-spattered waters tumbling around boulders and rocks. Feel a warm breeze that carried the scent of honeysuckle and wild garlic. Despite such idyllic surroundings, an awful sense of déjà vu depressed me. Someone called my name, and I looked to my left. Though part of me knew I had lived this moment before, I was as startled and overwhelmed by emotions as if experiencing the moment in real time. Surprise, joy, anger, and need all filled me, each feeling gusting and blowing this way and that inside me, robbing me momentarily, of any coherent decision-making. There she stood, as beautiful as the day I first beheld her, my wife Numa. A smile on her lips, a hint of concern in her eyes. She began to walk towards me, and I felt my mouth stretch and curve in happy response. The earlier me, that is, who was living that moment for the first time, that beautiful, smiling, younger me, who was ignorant of what I, the later Paul Bearer of Memories, had long carried as a dreadful, crushing knowledge, that this was to be the last time I would meet Numa, my ever young bride, my nemesis, the agony and the completion of my life. I looked at her, and saw the pale down on her cheek, the fleck of green in her eye, the crook of her smile that always seemed to hold a wry suggestion of illicit knowledge. It has been a while, I said, mastering my anger. I needed to see you, she replied with a shrug. Then she laughed, and in that moment I forgave her everything. Laughter was followed by silence, as we stood holding hands, looking at the ever-moving, ever-changing waters. Then, at the same moment, we turned to face each other. I could see her mood had turned more subdued. I tried to think of something to say, but even as an act of recollection, I could think of nothing. She gripped my hand, then let go. Everything is settled, Marcus, she said quietly. You need not worry about anything. Just take care of yourself, okay? I nodded and reached for her. Our final embrace was tender, our kiss clumsy, yet somehow all the more loving than any of our former moments of passion. In real time, And dream time, tears pricked my eyes, and the vision blurred, crumpled, and was torn from me. Before me, I saw the flickering candles the table spattered with my blood and vomit, and around the table the men and women who had evoked the ritual of invocation of the infernal and the eternal, and beyond them the thick gloom opening and closing, like dark velvet curtains to reveal the twisted and the blessed spirits of the dead. Admittedly, I was no longer the best person to judge what was of reality and what was mirage but it seemed to me that the men and women around the table stared like lifeless mannequins whilst the ghosts beyond bristled and sparked with energy and willpower. Between my shoulder blades black as pain and icy white numbness had fused to create an absolute zero of agony, stretching twisting and flexing beyond the fabric of my body. I gave in to the pain and damned the house of Sajun. Let it fall, let its grand architecture become the play-doh of roots and rains. Let the countless corpses bloat and drip, become the estates of maggots and the well-springs of disease. I had neither the energy nor the inclination to war against the inevitable. My quest now had focused on something closer and crueler to me, the loss of Numa and the fate of her soul. Forbidden proper funereal rites, her spirit, if not lost in the cosmos, must surely be trapped in Trishika, the foul realm of Melchioritia. With my ego, contempt and grief Now reaching divine proportions, I decided, as a person does, that I would travel to the foul lord's realm, defeat him and free my wife's soul. My decision allowed no room for doubts, forward planning or even the most rudimentary calculations of how I was to achieve such a goal. This, let's face it, was pretty much in keeping with how I had lived most of my life. I had no sooner made my decision than my eyes closed and I felt the muscles of great wings stretching and flexing out from my shoulder blades one wing I knew was white one was black one the extremis of despair, the other the extremis of ecstasy. Then I was soaring, arcing upwards through ceiling and security scans and alarms of the woolcraft wee scunner, all of which remained firm and unspeaking as the ghost of me flew ever higher through space and light, past the seven ash-black inner planets of Infeshka system, towards the twin stars of Firna and Taini that wobbled and spun, the one round the other and the other round the one, and each spitting at the other blazing plasma spasms a million miles long. Screaming, I fell between them, caught in the billion-ton gravity pool of both. I was seared and torn, and the brightness of my awful dying blinded me blinded me to all colour and all heat and all pain till I had no more substance and feeling than a gently falling cinder. When I opened my eyes again, I was wingless and naked, naked and unharmed, except for a small hole in my right hand from which a red ribbon spilled down to the ground. To one side of me stood a figure covered in a blue hood and a cape Down which tears spilled, plinking softly on a concrete floor. At my other side stood a man. He was handsome, with short curly hair, wearing brown trousers and a loose fitting yellow cotton shirt. I would like to help you, he said, and put a hand on my left elbow. I turned from him to face the divine Beatrice. The hood fell from her head and I saw her hair was short and golden. She turned towards me, her face long and thin and achingly beautiful. She nodded her assurance, but all the wild tears spilled from her eyes. Thanks for listening to this latest chapter of Marcus, Marcus and the Hurting Heart. This is the last chapter of the second season, so I hope you're enjoying it. Please tell your friends and your family and your ancient enemies all about the story. I hope to be starting the third season very soon, so stay tuned. Look after yourselves, stay sane and stay safe.